Hi, this is Jessica Clausen, former Walt Disney World cast member, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 104 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I am glad you're here. In this episode, we conclude our interview with returning guest on the show, Disney historian and author Jim Corcus. In part one, we talked a lot about Walt Disney's early Christmases, and I hope you enjoyed learning about his childhood and some pivotal moments and gifts during it. In this episode, Jim talks about his favorite Disney-related Christmas gift, how the Disney company came to sell animation cells, the Winnie the Pooh for President campaign. I don't know about you, but that sounds like not a bad idea to me right now what he considers his greatest Christmas gift overall, a Christmas story about Song of the South and Disney animator Floyd Norman, the Beauty and the Beast Christmas comic strip, some Christmas exhibits and attractions at Walt Disney World that are now gone, speculation on where, if anywhere, the Osborne spectacle of dancing lights may relocate to, how Disney measures the Orlando parks, full day or half day, and why, unexpected hits, both movies and theme park attractions, a huge problem for Disney historians. Ways Disney has affected the culture that most people don't realize. What inspires Jim? His advice to you for following your dreams. A hint about a new book he has coming out soon and how it will help you. And of course, shameless plug time. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Hello, Neverlanders. I'm Jeremy, host of the Neverland Podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. As a young boy in Marceline, Missouri, Walt Disney played Peter Pan in a school play, and Peter Pan remained one of his favorite stories throughout his life. He used to say that an adult was just a grown-up child, and he designed Disneyland to help that adult act like a child again. Well, that's what we do here in Neverland. This is where you never have to grow up. And so we'll talk about heroes like Spider-Man, He-Man, and others that taught us how to do what's right because right makes might. And we'll enjoy the simple pleasures of imagination, our greatest toy. We're like Saturday mornings all in one podcast. Every week on the Neverland Podcast, we'll sprinkle our pixie dust and fly to Disney and beyond. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. I think my favorite Christmas gift happened when I was, uh, gosh, I, I, I would say about 15, 16. I, w- I was always very interested in, in animation. And, uh, of course, the weekly Disney television shows that, you know, uh, focused on animation were always uh, my favorites. And that led me into interviewing uh, uh, Disney animators and, and really helped make me into it a, a Disney historian. But 
at Disneyland, uh, they had a section in Tomorrowland uh, called the Art Corner. And you could get flip books. Uh, you could buy um, cells from Disney animated uh, cartoons for a dollar. You know, they were in a little cardboard frame, and on the back they had a gold sticker that said, this is a one-of-a-kind original. That that was done by uh, uh, Jack Olson, who is, uh, a, again, somebody who doesn't re- receive a lot of uh, uh, recon- recognition, but he was in charge of... Uh, uh, he actually sold art supplies to the Disney studio, and, and Walt put him in charge of merchandise for Disneyland. And uh, Jack was the one who said we should have merchandise that is specific to Disneyland. You can only get it at Disneyland, and it should represent, you know, Disneyland. And uh, in, in those days, they would... Uh, toss cells back out into the dumpster in the back of the Disney studios, because again, it was just part of the process. The final product was the animated film. You know, during Fantasia, they would take cells and they would spread them out on the, on the floor in the hallways and do slip and slide on them, you know? (laughs) And uh, some artists would, would take them home and just pin them up on their kids' walls at home, you know, because again, these were just worthless you know, you, we've already filmed them, you know, we'll save the original art, because if you save the original art, you can always make another cell. But cells, they're nothing, you know. And so it, it was Jack who, who figured, you know, well, you know, we can, if we put them in this, you know, little cardboard uh, uh, frame, we can sell them at Disneyland for a, a buck a piece. And everybody thought he was insane, you know. And um, nowadays, those sell for thousands of dollars uh but um uh one of the things that they had at uh uh, in the art corner was they had the art of animation kit and it was this huge um cardboard box and and inside they had a couple of flip books and they had pencils and they had some uh pre-punched uh animation paper and because again you have peg holes so you, you put the paper on peg holes so that you keep the registration, you know, so that it's in the same registration. It doesn't, you know, one drawing doesn't move from the other. You know, you you can tell, okay, the hand's here. So in the next page, you put the hand here and it it works. And they also had this uh, press uh, board uh, animation desk that you, you could put together. Uh, and it had a, a sheet of glass and, and whatever, and a, a little light bulb uh, uh, underneath. And in fact, there was the offer that if you um, did uh, hundreds of pages, you know, for a couple of seconds of animation, you could ship it to the Disney Studios, and they would film it and send it back to you on eight millimeter film. Um, I never got that far because as soon as I started, I realized. Oh my gosh, this is just mind-numbing, you know, and and yeah. I can't go out and play. I'm sitting here, you know, staring at this light trying to get, you know, this hand to move from here to here. Also in the in the kit was uh, you know, how to draw Mickey Mouse and uh, uh how to draw Donald Duck. Well, again, that was something that, you know, oh my gosh, I've got to have that. But it, but it was like some outrageous price, like 10 bucks. 
you know, which was a lot of money back in those days, you know, when you could get a, a gallon of gas for like, you know, 20 cents or so. Um, right. And so I, I begged and, you know, pleaded and, and they said, well, if we get you that, that's the, that's the only one. And, you know, uh, only gift, you know, you can get. Oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. So we went to uh, Disneyland and, you know, I immediately ran to the art corner to make sure they still had that. And, and they did, but you couldn't buy it there because you don't want to lug it around with you. So just as we were leaving that, I, I would go periodically during the day just to check to make sure they still had that there. And uh, then at the end of the day, uh, that's when we would buy things as we were headed out to the car. And so I ran to Tomorrowland, and yes, yes, they had that, and I got that. And um, the uh, sides of the box were uh, uh, stapled, you know, with those those big staples. So um, you can't just pull off the lid to see, you know, and play around with the stuff that's inside. And so it was just agonizing for me because on, on, on the car drive back from Anaheim to Glendale, I had to sit in the back seat with my two brothers and they had toys that they were playing with, you know, they, they had, uh, uh, one of them had the Tinkerbell, uh, uh, glow in the dark wand. And what you did is you got that and you held it directly up to a light, you know, for what seemed like forever. And then you went into a dark room and the thing glowed, you know. I used to have some toys like that. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, and, and so that was cool. So I'm sitting in the back and no, you know, you can't look in it. It's not Christmas yet, you know. And, all, and so I had to agonize for for two weeks at least, maybe more. You know, before that came, and I tore into that. I still have today. The, uh, the there was a little blue card where um, uh, it 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 said that you were an uh, an animator, an art corner animator, and it was signed by Mickey Mouse. So I know it's official, and Absolutely. I still have that today. And it still has Jimmy Corcus in very very bad printing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, on there. So, uh, uh, but I never got around to finishing those hundreds of drawings that needed to be sent to the Disney studios for them to, to film. But that was one of my favorite Disney, uh, Christmas gifts. Later, the, the excitement was taking a look at the, the Sears Christmas wish book and all those great, uh, Disney, you know, a third of that catalog was just toys. I, I saw a special on the History Channel. They stopped printing a physical copy of the Disney of the Sears uh, Christmas Wish Book in 1992, but a third of it was, was toys. And I remember the Disney Wish Book having something that I've never seen advertised uh, since. Is they had complete models of uh, uh, Disneyland um, uh, Main Street and Walt Disney World Main Street. And, oh, wow. and and little figures and things. Yeah, go back and take a look. My gosh, you and you could buy them part by part type thing. And and they were the you know they were the typical hard plastic and uh, you know the single color type thing. So you would have to go through and paint them if you wanted. But yeah, you you could you could get your Disneyland uh, uh, Town Square or your Walt Disney World Town Square, which of course we all know is different. 
and they had little right. figures. They had people with strollers, and they had costume characters, you know, that that you could all buy uh, separately. And remember, Sears is the one that had that um, special license with uh, uh, Disney to do uh, Winnie the Pooh. So the Winnie the Pooh merchandise was was all through. The, in fact, the whole uh, uh, Pooh for President and all of that was. was uh, campaign that was done in the parks was done in conjunction with uh uh sears so i'll vote for him (laughs) you know the funny he was running i guess he was running against captain hook and 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 it was always close right up until the last uh and and then i i think it was somebody like uh uh tigger who was the campaign manager had forgotten to vote so his was the vote, just you know, was the deciding fact, you know. And in those days, you believe that stuff. You go, oh my gosh, you know. I hope, you know, we we've just become all so jaded, you know, all so jaded. And and this year, you know, it's tough to know what to ask Santa to get because there's um, so many wonderful uh, uh, Disney books uh, out there. You know, when I was growing up, you know, there was just a handful, but you know, just this year, there, there's been so the Pinocchio book from uh, J.B. Kaufman, the, the the John Kane Maker book that reprints the uh, um, uh, sketchbook for you know uh, the special effects for Fantasia, uh, you know, and and all of these books, of course, cost a fortune. You know, um, the 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 uh, collection of uh, Mickey Mouse comic strips, and they've come out with a collection of. Uh, uh, Donald Duck comic strips, you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's why it only costs you fifteen bucks for Vault of Walt Four and uh, <laughs> Secret Stories of Walt Disney World. You know, fifteen bucks each, and actually Amazon sometimes has it uh, cheaper than that. So you look on Amazon.com or ThemeParkPress.com, and and some of those other books uh, as well. I'm proud of every book that I've written. I've I've, I've gotten. I, I consider that my my Christmas gift that I've I've gotten the opportunity to to find a publisher who says yes you you have all of this information about Disney that you've gathered for decades I'm going to give you a conduit so you can you can get it out there so that uh, people can enjoy it because again Disney is never going to write a book about Song of the South you know never so hopefully my book out there will will be a, a a nice reference uh for people to use when they're they're writing their stories because a lot of people have never seen uh a song of the oh, there's a funny song of the south and christmas story here for you uh, okay one of my one of my uh, good friends is uh, floyd norman disney legend floyd norman he was a uh an animator on uh, on uh, sleeping beauty he was a story man on uh, jungle book you know, he, he, he's done story work for uh, uh, the Pixar uh, uh, features, things like that. And, and he's just been all over the place. He's, he's done comic books. He's done video games, all of this. Well, we were talking about the Disney uh, Christmas strips. And uh, he did the, uh, the last uh, uh, two uh, before Disney decided, you know, to just stop that. They revived it actually in 1992, and and, and Floyd wrote uh, uh, six more installments, but those were all to promote uh, 
Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Pocahontas and 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 Floyd says, yeah, they wanted me to do a Christmas strip about Aladdin. Did they not realize where Aladdin was? <laughs> he says, but I found a way around that. But but in that initial run from 1960 to 1987, he did the last uh, two. One of them was about uh, Cruella de Vil, but one of uh, Floyd's favorite films is Song of the South. So uh, he he thought, I can do, you know, one. Uh, it You know, this is 1986, you know. By gosh, you know, the, the civil rights has been won, you know, all of this. I should be able to do, you know, on on Song of the South, and it's about, you know, the the uh, kids uh, uh, going to Uncle Remus and worried that maybe th- there won't be Christmas because there'll be no snow in the South, right? And uh, so Uncle Remus starts to tell a story about how Br'er Rabbit, you know, uh, had that same question and how that got resolved. And so um, he said, I cleaned up. Uncle Remus's dialect. I said I had I had uh, Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox and all talking dialect, but I I I cleaned up Uncle Remus, you know, so there there'd uh, you know be no problems. And and he said, uh, and and for those who are listening and don't realize this, um, Floyd Norman is black. He was hired personally by Walt Disney as an animator and promoted to a story man, which was the highest position at the Disney studios in those days. And, uh, uh, so, so Floyd is black. So I think, uh, you know, uh, Disney said, well, he's black. Okay. He can, he can do something. So he does this. They send it to King features. King features is incensed. How can you be so insensitive? How can you, you know, and, and again, this is just a simple little, Christmas story, four weeks, you know, and and they're worried that papers are going to cancel, you know, uh, all the King Features things and all that, and so Disney had to trot out Floyd and show them the guy who did this is black, you know, and so they grudgingly said, um, okay, <laughs> and <laughs> and they received no complaints whatsoever, no complaints whatsoever from anyone. Um, and so, and so Floyd says, I don't, he says, I, I guess I had some of those uh, guts cause I, I, you know, cause I was pretty young and he says, I never saw any racist, uh, tendency in, in that film. So, you know, but that was it, but yeah, there's a, uh, uh, so those, yeah, that was, um, 1986. So, uh, those of you who are listening, go back and check in your your local newspapers uh, uh, for in December 1986, and maybe you can piece together uh, your own little uh, uh, song in the South uh, Christmas strip, which is uh, uh, beautifully written and beautifully done. You know, it, it's tough to tell a story in just uh, a complete story in just 24 installments, but. Uh, Floyd was able to do that, which I guess is why they brought him back uh, 92 to 97 uh, to do those other uh, Christmas strips where, you know, Belle and the Beast, and and the Beast is all upset because uh, Belle has given him so much, and he has absolutely nothing to give to Belle. And in the last strip, you know, Belle looks at him and says, 
you know, are, are you crazy? You know, you've given me your heart. That's the, that's the greatest gift, you know, in the world. And they each say Merry Christmas to the, each other and they're out there in the snow and they, they walk into, uh, 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 the beast castle in, in those strips, they didn't save Santa or they didn't save Christmas, but it was Christmas oriented in those ways. See, so many great uh, uh, Christmas stories to uh, to tell, and all of them uh, related to Disney. And, and I hope everybody who listens to this podcast uh, has had their own special Disney and, and, and Christmas uh, story. Or if not, this is your chance to 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 make those um, uh, magical moments for yourself, because they'll disappear even at the Disney theme parks, things disappeared. You know, the lights at Christmas, that wonderful archway at at Epcot, the 30,000 mm-hmm. lights, you know, when you walked from uh, a future world to uh, uh, world showcase, all of that's gone now. You know, the uh, jolly holiday shows at uh, uh, the, the contemporary, you know, where it was a all you can eat buffet, you know, and they, uh, uh, did this whole uh, uh, wonderful live show at the uh, from the Holiday Village, where uh, you know uh, people would uh, the country bears came in out of the snow to play a song, and then you know ran off, and you had dancing reindeer and uh, things like that. That's got, at, at Downtown Disney, which is now uh, uh, Disney Springs. You know, for uh, 15 years or more, they had a living nativity out there on the dockside stage and and it was so pop it was free and it was so popular that uh you know on the nights that it was performing you couldn't drive down that street at all it was so backed up because they they and they do more than one show and basically it was the whole christmas story you know done up uh you know with the manger and people as the angels and all of that and now this year we're losing uh uh, Osborne spectacle of dancing lights. Right. Yeah, I'm very glad that you know my wife and I got to see that about I think it was about three years ago. I'm sad that my daughter's not going to get to mm-hmm. see it. Well, you know, I I wonder, and and I can wonder because I'm no longer uh, a, a Disney cast member, even though I do work for Disney Freelance. You know, uh, for their uh, mag magazines, their publications. You know, some of the videos and all that. I'm still not an official Disney cast member, so I can wonder and think, you know, is Disney really going to let that go, or are they going to find another location for it? And they're just not telling us so that they build up attendance this year. You know, this is your last chance to see it. You know, like the electrical light parade. You know, the electrical light parade is glowing away. You can actually buy a bulb from one of the floats there for 25 bucks. Um and then it came back. They must have had replacement bulbs. <laughs> uh, so maybe your listeners have have some suggestions. I've heard some suggestions that yes, they maybe they should decorate uh, Disney Springs. With, and remember, this is over five million lights that we're talking about here. Maybe they could decorate Disney Springs with that, or maybe they could decorate Sunset Boulevard. You know, obviously they can't decorate where it is now because all that's getting uh, uh, torn down for Star Wars land there. Right. And uh, uh, 
actually the only attractions you'll be able to see at uh, Disney Hollywood Studios will be construction walls. There are actually less operating attractions at Disney Hollywood Studios today uh, with with all of this construction and all of the, the ones that have closed um, than there were when the park opened in 1989. And there weren't that many then. There weren't, because, again, the, the whole concept was Disney Hollywood Studios was to be a half-day park. That's how that's how Disney measures the parks. Okay, um, Magic Kingdom is considered a two to three day park. Um, Epcot is considered a uh, one to two day park type thing. And so um, when they came up with like Typhoon Lagoon, you know Eisner realized this is going to be a half day experience. You know people are not going to go to Typhoon Lagoon and spend eight ten hours there. You know, they they may spend two to four hours there. That's why it's a half day uh, type attraction. But there are some people who are not um, uh, into water parks. You know, uh, uh, I go to a water park and they think I'm Shamu the killer whale, and they should roll me back into the pond there. Uh, so uh, came up with Disney Hollywood Studios, which was going to be a half-day park. So what you would do is you might go to the, the studios in the morning and then spend the afternoon at Typhoon Lagoon or, or vice versa. You know, But from day one, the whole concept of you know the Hollywood that never was but always will be was just so appealing that, you know, before the first week was out, they were planning, how can we expand this? And they hadn't planned, you know, on, on any expansion. And so they just had to uh, to do so. It wasn't until, what was it, 96 that Sunset Boulevard uh, uh, opened, you know? Um, so, you know, they, they were constantly, uh, and before Sunset Boulevard, it was going to be a whole uh, 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 Toontown uh, experience until things started to go sour with uh, uh, Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment. But there, and there was also going to be a whole Dick Tracy section before that uh, film sort of crashed and bombed. So, you know, you can plan, but you never know what audiences are, are, are going to like, you know. You can try and do the best you can, and then it's like, well, that just fell apart, so what are we going to do with this? Right. Yeah. Or the other way around, you plan and think, well, this is nice, but you know, we'll see what happens, and then it becomes enormous. Well, and, and you know that that happened with uh, Festival of the Lion King at Disney Animal Kingdom. That was just supposed to be a placeholder mm-hmm. because all of that was going to be the Beastly Kingdom. They ran out of money, so it's like, well, let's just fill something in there until you know we can budget back in Be- Beastly Kingdom. Uh, the same thing with the Pocahontas show. It, it, it was only supposed to last for you know, three months tops, and it went on for 10 years. Um, uh, the Frozen experience at uh, Disney Hollywood Studios, that was all put together in just uh, three weeks, you know, uh, just as sort of a stopgap. And then people just, you know, fell in love with it. And that was, it, it, it's like with Frozen. I think Frozen is, is a, a, a very well-done film and, and a nice film. But I never, watching that film, 
thought that it would become a phenomenon, that it would just touch people so much. The same thing with Lion King. That was a B film. The A film was Pocahontas, and they needed to buy more time to finish up Pocahontas, so they rushed um, Lion King out, and that had been done by apprentices and trainees and and things like that. And if you take a hard look at it from an artistic standpoint, you can start to see some of the gaps and all that. But by golly, it just hit something emotionally. You know, I, I think Frozen really hit emotionally that connection between sisters, you know, yeah. and, and, and that type of, uh, of bond. And, and with Lion King, I, I think it, it touched that emotional button that, uh, you are a representative of your parents, you know, you are connected, you know, um, you know, to your, your father. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think that's so emotionally strong that uh, it carries over all the little things that just, you know, those aren't artists. I, I remember interviewing John Lasseter and he says, it's so difficult for him to watch toy story now. And, and I, and I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you can see, you know, the shadows are wrong and we, this rendering and all that. And I said, John, I said, you're crazy. I said, <laughs> I said, this, this is going to be like Snow White. 60 years from now, people are going to take a look at this and love it. They're not going to take a look and say, well, that algorithm was off, you know, or they should have been. It, it, it was like, my gosh, it, 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 it touches people. The characters touch people and all that. You know, that, that's why I was uh, upset when George Lucas went in and played around with all the Star Wars films and all that, you know. It was the Star Wars, the original Star Wars films I fell in love with, you know. I, I didn't need to see, you know, all of these other bells and whistles added in. I, I didn't need to, to see that, oh, it's Greedo who's shooting first. No, you know. Just let it be. Let it be the one that people fell in love with. You know, right. I, I I think there's some films like that that no longer belong to the person who created them. They belong to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. I just read an interview this week where George Lucas explained why he changed that so that Greedo would shoot first in the special edition. And I think his reasoning is completely wrong. Yes. You know, but, but again, it, he sees it as this is my baby. I and And I know he's completely upset that. You know, they they didn't um, actively consult with him on this new Star Wars movie, which I am just eagerly looking forward uh, to seeing. Everything I've seen about it is like, this just looks right. <laughs> yeah, it looks and feels like Star Wars. Yes. You know, yeah, and, and uh, I, I don't know whether they'll be able to maintain that or not. But again, you know, uh, Randy, this the Star Wars movie, of course, brings up a huge problem for you and I. Star Wars is now part of Disney history. Marvel Comics are now part of Disney history. Muppets are now part. So now as a Disney historian, you can no longer confine yourself, you know, to Walt or the parks or all, you've got all of these other franchises, all of these other worlds and you know, I I was sitting here the other day going, you know, I don't even know the name of the characters in Avatar. I saw it in IMAX, I saw it in 3D, and I really didn't think of it as a film. I thought of it as an experience. 
but I didn't go out of the theater remembering the names of the characters or going, I've got to buy a plush dragon, plush flying dragon. You know, that just didn't occur to me. But now, you know, another two years, that's going to be part of Disney history. And mm-hmm. and you better know who those creatures are, are on Pandora, you know, and uh, what's going on. Yeah. I mean, Disney pretty much owns my childhood at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> they bought Muppets, they bought Star Wars, they bought Marvel. You know, they are Disney. They own my childhood. That, so. that, 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 I, I, I think... I think that's true is that everybody has grown up as a Disney kid, you know, and, and actually I think it's been true even before they bought all of those, uh, uh, franchises, you know, that people grew mm-hmm. up listening to Disney music. They, uh, I, I know my nieces and nephews grew up being, uh, babysat by, by watching Disney anime. I went through, gosh, what was it? Three video copies of Little Mermaid, uh, simply because uh, my nieces wanted to see it over and over. Here, let's let's watch Jungle Book today. No, Uncle Jim, no. Here it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Uncle Jim is trying to educate you and expand, widen your world. No, we want to see the Little Mermaid. All right. Yeah, all right. I tried, I failed. You, you know, and and videotapes, you know, would would wear out. They would break. They would, you know, mm-hmm. they 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 would shred. You know, uh, so it's like, ah, oh, jeez. And and then there's that whole generation that that grew up watching, you know, Walt on TV. You know, and um, going just to Disneyland. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think, yeah, it really, and so I think that's one of the reasons we get all of this, um, negative pushback, you know, uh, against Disney, you know, it, it, because it's like, it's so pervasive, you know, it's affected and it's affected the culture in ways that, that we don't realize, you know, uh, the fact that you go to a, a restaurant or hotel and people are wearing name tags with their names on that. That started at Disney. When you're you're standing in a uh, a, a line and it it switches back and forth, uh, that started at Disney. Uh, you know, calling people guests. That started at Disney. You know, um, you know. So you know, Disney has had an impact on the hospitality industry. It's had a, a, an impact on the entertainment industry. Um, you know, and, and it's important for people to realize that you, uh, can separate, um, the Disney brand from the Disney business. Mm-hmm. The Disney brand are those wonderful characters, those, those wonderful moments you've had in a, a Disney park or watching a Disney film, but the Disney business operates as any other business. So it'll lay off people. It'll outsource uh, I, I don't think a lot of people uh, realize that that for years Disney has not made audio animatronics. That's all been outsourced to Garner Holt. In fact, they right. they gave him a, a lot of their uh, uh, proprietary material so that he could maintain the audio animatronics at Disney parks. 
and in fact, that's that's an interesting thing, and that's a whole other uh, podcast we can do. Is uh, the next audio animatronic president at the Hall of Presidents is probably going to be done by Garner Holt. The last one done by Disney was Barack Obama, mm-hmm. and and uh, it was uh, Blaine uh, Gibson's uh, protege, uh, Valerie Edwards, who did Obama. Disney laid her off in 2010, along with Tim really? Delaney and a bunch of other Imagineers. Uh huh. You know, so it's like you've got nobody left at the at 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 Disney who can make another audio animatronic president. Yeah, that's true. And then you have to ask yourself, do you want another audio animatronic president, or do you want to use that technology? that they used to create um, uh, that Jack Sparrow experience at Disney uh, MGM Studios where you went in and you saw Jack Sparrow up there on the uh, um, uh, pirate ship on the, on the Black Pearl. It's, it's the same technology that Universal was using uh, at Hogwarts for uh, Dumbledore and all of these. It, it's a projection, but it is so realistic it looks like a real person. It looks solid, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, we need to to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Here, so I just want to ask a couple questions. Sure. To sure. Wrap up here in a few minutes. The next two are ones that I asked when we talked what two years ago, year and a half ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to give you a chance to answer again, same answer if you want, or uh, you know maybe 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 I've grown and changed and become wiser and more perceptive. Who knows? Okay. Or maybe snarky or one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Uh, What inspires you? Um, In life or or with Disney or or whatever. Um, What inspires me generally in life is is the fact that all the good things that I I see uh, out there and and all the good things that I see uh, people doing. You know, uh, sometimes you can watch uh, uh, the news each night and just be so downhearted and so hopeless that, you know, we, people are just so stupid and so cruel and so hurtful. And, and then you'll just see the, these random acts of kindness out there that people do. And it's like, you know, it, it, it's important to remember that, you know, life is good. And I, and I think that's one of the things that draws people to Disney is that Disney gives people that hope that um, things are good and that things are going to even get better, you know? And, and so, so that's it. And uh, also a huge inspiration for me uh, was my mom and dad who, who uh, passed away about 10 years ago. And, um, you know, we were never a uh, well-to-do family, but, you know, we never felt, uh, you know, that we were missing anything. And, and especially around the Christmas season, um, I miss mom and dad tremendously, but especially around the Christmas season, uh, they would have a, uh, uh, a Christmas, uh, uh, party at, at the house, uh, every Christmas Eve. And one of the things my dad would do is he would buy extra, um, uh, boxes of seized chocolate and have them gift wrapped and have a blank tag on it. So if somebody showed up 
unexpectedly or somebody brought somebody unexpectedly, dad could go to the, the kitchen, open the refrigerator, pull out a box, write the person's name on it, and then slip it underneath the tree so that when presents were being handed out, somebody who may have just decided, you know, a, an hour ago to show up suddenly got a, a Christmas gift from the Corcus family. And well, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I, except that, again, this was happening when I was a kid, and so I was extremely selfish, so I wanted nobody extra to show up, because if they didn't, we could eat the Christmas <laughs> in the refrigerator. But but now that I've gotten, you know, older and wiser, it's like, you know, it, it takes so little. Uh, we were talking about this before we even uh, recorded the podcast here. It takes so little to to, to make people happy, you know, a, a, a smile, a, a kind word, uh, holding your tongue sometimes or, or just being patient and, and those people who've tried to do that know how difficult that is, you know. And, and this Christmas season, you know, uh, it, it doesn't have to be an elaborate gift uh, for someone. Sometimes it can just be, uh, you know, thank you for being in my life, you know. Uh, you, you make things better. Let's go on to the next question. Okay. <laughs> um, somebody listening right now has a dream. Maybe it's to be a Disney historian or to write a book. Or maybe it's yeah, give it up right it. now. Give it up right yeah. now. Go work in a jelly factory. That's my advice. <laughs> get a job in the post office, whatever. You'll you'll get a pension, you know, you'll get medical care. That's it. You'll make more than you will as an author, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, that's true. Unless, unless uh, if, if, if people think, oh, my gosh, you've got ten books. You, that must just be a fortune. No, but, but it, it, it does help. Pay it does help pay the bills unless you're a, a, a J.K. Rowling or or a Stephen King or or whatever, and you don't realize too that when a book sells, not all of that money is coming to you. Some of that money is is coming to the publisher. Some of that is coming to to cover some of the uh, production costs. You know, it costs money for the cover. It costs money for uh, different things. Uh, some of that money is even going to Amazon. You know. Yeah. Uh, Amazon is, is 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 not a charity, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but uh, no, you're, you, uh, basically you have to do what you love, and that that's the advice that's always been given to people: is do what you love, and and the money will come to you eventually. So I'm still waiting for the eventually, but the money will come to you uh, eventually. Because especially even a job that you're doing, statistically, you will spend more time at your job than you will with your friends and family. So you might as well have a job that you really love doing. And, and it won't seem like work uh, at, at all. You know, I, uh, when I'm writing an article or, or whatever, um, you know, it's sometimes frustrating coming up with the information or coming up with the right words to – express it but it's so exciting to 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 find it you know the the search and so exciting when it when it does come out and um for those of you who want to follow your dream in terms of disney i have just finished a book i can't announce it because it hasn't come out yet i never do that but it'll be out in january 
uh, has a foreword by uh, Leonard Malton, has an entire chapter by uh, Dave Smith, um, has contributions uh, from 20 of uh, the top uh, Disney uh, uh, experts in the world. And that, that book was written, uh, I wrote that book specifically to help people realize their dreams. So we'll we'll make it that vague enough. It was supposed to be out by Christmas. It it's not. It uh, because again we don't expect that this book will sell very well at all. It, it'll be a real niche market, and so the publisher wisely went with the books that he thought would would sell well over Christmas. And and so this book will be out in January. But it it'll uh, it, think of it as a guide map to making your Disney dreams come true. Whether you want to be an Imagineer, you want to be an animator, you want to be a historian, um, sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? It really does. That sounds really cool. But but and it only sounds you... cool to you, <laughs> you and I. Right. Yes. And and so you can have me back on when the book comes out, and I, I can tell you um, all the challenges and and what inspired me to write the the book. And then when you're dealing with so many other people. It's like herding cats. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, it's it, 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 Leonard. Uh, Leonard uh, has been a, a, a friend for decades, but uh, in his foreword, he writes uh, extensively about how he wrote the book, the Disney films. And um, this is a book came out in what 1980, and there was no internet. You know, there were no other Disney books. How do you go about doing something like that? You know, um, it and and it was fascinating. I, I, as I said, I've known him for decades, and there are things in in his foreword that uh, I never knew before. He he he's never talked about before anywhere, and and he does interviews all over the place, and 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 the whole thing. And I'm and I'm so happy he's doing those uh, uh, Disney days on uh, Turner Classic Movies. And I hope yeah, he has, you know, a very happy holiday season. Okay, next yeah. question. Okay, or, or, or maybe that didn't answer that question. Well, no, it, actually, people should fine. pursue. People, I think people should pursue their dreams. But you know, sometimes you know, you have to realize, uh, no matter how hard you pursue it, it might not work out. You know, if you're four foot six you might not be the best basketball player in the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, but again, there have been people who have overcome all sorts of things. So I've I've learned never to say no to anybody. I, I, I've had people come up and they've wanted to be Disney animators or whatever, and I take a look at their 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 work, and, and the first gut reaction is, look, you don't have an understanding of the basics, you don't, you know, you're up against people who have had, you know, years of experience. You're up against people who are laid off from Disney Animation who are trying to get back in, you know. Um, and and I'll even tell them, I'll say, keep working. You know, I, I uh, uh, Chuck Jones, who uh, the Warner Brothers director and all that, I, I, I took a couple of classes with him. And he said, you know, Jim, everybody's got 10,000 bad drawings inside of them. And you've got to get those 10,000 bad drawings out of your system before the good drawings start to come. 
So I'm still working on my ten thousand, but <laughs> but 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 I, I I think that that's right. You know, uh, you've got to keep working. You've got to be smart. You've got to take a look at you know what else is out there. How did other people do this? You know, even if you don't follow their path, it's sometimes inspiring to see how other people you know got what they got. How you know, and sometimes it's luck. But if you're prepared then you can take advantage of that luck. I've, I've seen some people, you know, just out of luck being given an opportunity, but they were completely unprepared to do that. And so it dead ended right then and there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Now, very last thing, and you've actually done really good at this already okay. throughout the interview. Uh, you are an expert, but I'm going to give you a chance here to take like one or two minutes to put it all in one place. And it is shameless plug time. The books, theme park press, whatever you want to mention, okay. go for it. Uh, again, I would suggest um, if you're interested in, in Disney uh, uh, history or, or Disney in general, you should go to uh, www.themeparkpress.com because uh, they have uh, almost 100 books now, and, and they cover a variety uh, of topics. In fact, one of the things uh, uh, that Bob McLean, who's the publisher, is doing is actually issuing reprints. And so for the holiday season, he issued a reprint of Van France's book, Windows on Main Street. I got it for my birthday. Mm -hmm. I got it for my birthday. There you go. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's been out of print for decades. It's been very pricey. It's a, a wonderful book. And um, he's got a wonderful reprint of a Walt Disney biography where Walt gave five interviews just for this specific biography. This information appears in no other Disney biography. It has been out of print for decades. And within the next couple of weeks, Bob is going to be uh, uh, issuing a reprint of this. But he, he also has uh, contemporary things. As I said, uh, ThemeParkPress.com has uh, all of the uh, uh, Corcus Disney-related uh, 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 books. Uh, has uh, a wonderful series called Walt's People, which is now up to, believe it or not, 18 volumes. And each volume is filled just with interviews of people who worked at Disney, especially uh, uh, with Walt. Each volume has an interview that I've done with someone, a, a Ken Anderson or a Margaret Carey or a Mark Davis or, or whatever. And so Didier Getz, who edits that uh, uh, series, has that. He has a wonderful book out uh, called uh, Walt's uh, Grand Tour, what Walt and Roy did on vacation in 1935 and how so many of those things, uh, like seeing a castle in Germany, uh, influenced other, other things that, that went on uh, in, the, in the world there. Um, so uh, do yourself a, a treat. And again, these are all reasonably priced. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, Disney books uh, uh, out there from, uh, uh, you know, uh, Fantagraphics, uh, Disney Editions, uh, IDW, all of this. And uh, the more you have, the bigger perspective you're going to have on 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 the world, and um, and books will survive the zombie apocalypse. 
your Kindle will not survive the zombie. Although every book on Theme Park Press is available on Kindle uh, uh, as well. They, uh, another reprint they just issued was the uh, Disney uh, Railroad book and the Ward Kimball Railroad uh, uh, book. So lots of fun. Too, too many things and, and not enough time and not enough money to in, enjoy them all. And I've, I've uh, pushed this before, and those of you who are listening to the podcast, you need to do this now. You need to write to Randy Crane and say, Randy, where is your book? Where is your book compiling all of those interviews you've done? And Bob McLean of Theme Park Press says he will print that book. So if you've enjoyed this show as much as I do, I enjoy Randy's show tremendously. I wish he'd have me on more often. Tell Randy, time to write that book. You know, you got a daughter now, so you got plenty of time, you know, oh, but sure. you got nothing but time on your hands. And, and if she's crying in the middle of the night, you're up anyway. You might as well be writing. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> so, Randy, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you for so much for uh, helping me to uh, uh, plug my books. And uh, because, again, that's that's how I make my, my living now. And uh, I continue to write books because I love to, and I love sharing that information with others. I'm so happy that, that people have enjoyed that, and, and I hope people have enjoyed uh, this show and has helped put them in a, a Christmas mood. I hope so, too. It's my pleasure, Jim. I always enjoy having you on and, and reading your books and articles and all the other stuff that you've uh, put out there. So thank you for doing all of that and for being on the show. And and I hope one of these years Santa will put a Randy Crane book in my Christmas stocking. I think that might be able to be arranged. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, a, a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jim Corcus for being my guest and to you for listening. If you enjoyed the stories and information Jim shared in these episodes, I really do highly recommend all of Jim's books. You can't go wrong with any of them. Now, rather than our usual sponsor message this time, I'd like to one more time for this one ask for your help supporting a great and worthwhile cause. I'm a runner. If you've been around for any length of time, including even just the most recent episode, you know that by now. I run first for myself and what it does for me. I run second for my family so I can be healthy for them, especially now that I have a daughter who amazingly is almost nine months old already. What you may not know is that third, I run for others, to raise money for causes and organizations that I care deeply about. More than half of the races I run every year I do in support of worthwhile causes. On the weekend of January 15th to the 17th, 2016, I will run 22.4 miles for Team Muscle Makers for Ulrich Congenital Muscular Dystrophy. Yes, I'm running a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon, all in support of this important cause. Please listen to this message that I recorded at Disneyland to learn a little more about UCMD, how you can help, and what very special gift I'm offering if you do, besides the fact that your donation is tax-deductible. Hi, this is Randy. Some of you watching this video know me, some of you probably don't, but I wanted to give you a special video message uh, about my fundraising for the Star Wars Half Marathon weekend coming up in January. 
some kids running around here, but we're currently in Tomorrowland, also currently temporarily known as Star Wars Overlay Land. You can hear the music and everything going on here. And uh, I'm going to be doing this race weekend in January to raise money for Team Muscle Makers, which is raising money for Ulrich's congenital muscular dystrophy. It's a really rare form of muscular dystrophy that strikes in childhood or congenital. Kids are born with it. And it's a really debilitating illness. Uh, for really severe cases, children are expected to die by the time they're about 10 years old or so. Not all do, but it, it is expected. And so I really want to raise money for this cause. This is really important to me, and I'm asking for your help. But I'm not just asking for your help. I'm offering something in return. Uh, obviously, I can't sell you anything for this. But what I will do is, if you will donate $50 or more uh, before the fundraising deadline, which is the end of December, if you'll donate $50 or more by that time, then sometime in the next 12 months, uh, whenever you need it, I will do a custom one or two part, one day Disneyland touring plan for you and your group, uh, up to about six people or so. If you uh, don't want to need that, maybe you're a frequent guest and you're know, a frequent visitor, you don't need that, but you want to do something for someone else, I'll do it for them. You just tell me who you want me to do it for. I'll work with you, find out what kind of things you want to do what you're most interested in, what you don't care about, and I'll do a custom touring plan just for you, for the day you're going, for your family, or you know, your group. $50 or more is all I'm asking, and you get that gift in exchange. If you do $75 or more, I'll do the same thing, and I will send you a copy of both of my books, uh, Faith in the Magic Kingdom and Once Upon Your Time. You get both of those and the touring plan. So, we're getting a lot of noise around here, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up this video. There's a link below, or you can go to storiesofthemagic.com slash TMM. It's TMM for Team Muscle Makers, or click the link below, and that'll take you to the page where you can do your donation. Uh, on top of all of this, it's also tax deductible. So if you're looking for a year-end thing, this is a great way to do it. Help me help these kids and find a cure uh, for this really terrible disease and get something out of it in the meantime. So thank you for watching, and thank you for your donation. My fundraising deadline is the end of 2015, so this is the last chance I have to ask for your help here on the show, and your last chance to help me raise money for this important organization, while also getting something pretty cool for yourself. Thank you. Now if you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, then I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, and you'd like to give a compliment or a thank you, I would love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. And soon you'll be able to get Stories of the Magic through Google Play Music. The podcast has been approved, and as soon as Google launches their podcast app, this one will be right there, right from the beginning. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. What do you think about Jim's comment when it comes to me writing a book, compiling these podcast interviews? 
He said to email me and ask for it, so how about it? Do you think I should do it? Would you buy it and read it? Email me, call the listener feedback line, or leave a comment and let me know. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. You know, if you'd like to give me a Christmas gift and maybe you can't do the donation for Team Muscle Makers or you want to do something in addition to that, leave a review on one of those platforms. It only takes a few minutes and right now I'm at, I think, 21 reviews. I know how many of you there are listening, and so if I could get to even just a small percentage of you leaving a review and I end up at 30 or 35 reviews by the end of the year, that would be fantastic. I would be incredibly excited and grateful. So please do that, and in doing so, it also moves the podcast up in the ratings so that when people search for Disney podcasts, they see this one sooner, they're more likely to listen to it, and all of these great stories from all of these guests that I've had get out there, and more people can hear these stories and learn this information and benefit from it. So keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too, and I would be very grateful. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.